Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me today. And my very special guest, retired Army veteran Robert Hess. Thanks for joining me today, Robert. Hi, Marcia. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm thrilled and uh, delighted to be here. It's going to be what I would consider, what I would call informative and inspiring because you have a, some stories, I call them stories, to share about your life, and they're profound. But before we get into those actual career um, conversations, I thought, well, man, maybe this is part of that, frankly. I thought you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about yourself, Robert. Well, you know, <laughs> how much time a, do I have, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's always kind of a you know a, a you know a funny question, you know. So, yeah. what what is the what is the most important thing? But uh, well, you know, I was a kid that uh, grew up in Virginia, and maybe the interesting thing is to to know that I'm now in uh, either my third or fourth career. <clears throat> Um, you know, my first career, I uh, was in the U.S. Army, and, you know, we can, you know, I can talk more about that adventure later on. Um, my second career was uh, in aerospace. Uh, for five years after I uh, left the Army, I worked for a French aerospace company um, called Aerospatial, and some people know it through Airbus and uh, helicopters and space, um, um, Ariana spots. Then I uh, went out to California, went through business school, got into, uh, created a small consulting firm and uh, got involved in software development. And then later on, uh, I became a cancer and uh, disabled veteran advocate. And, you know, maybe now my fourth career is, um, trying to become the oldest amateur race car driver in America. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Oh, that, that, is, that is so cool. But I know um, you went to a very prestigious college. You went to VMI, correct? I did. And that's Virginia um, Military Virginia. Institute, people. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes go ahead. It's, uh, it's uh, Marcia, you're right. That's a very small school. Um, down in the Shenandoah Valley, down in Lexington, Virginia, um, sometimes called the West Point of the South, although we call uh, West Point the VMI of the North. Um, <laughs> so, That's great. Sorry for any, any, any West Pointers out there. Um, yes. Yeah, so VMI is a small little school. It, um, um, when I was there, it had about 1,100 students. It's, it's uh, larger wow. now. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, has grown to about 1,800. It's small, but it uh, it ranks 
67th nationally uh, for liberal arts colleges of all the liberal arts uh, colleges, but it's also a, an engineering school. I see. I don't know why I, have, I heard of him. I heard of that school anyway. I, I don't. I don't know. Probably if if I asked you, well, do they have a basketball team? Maybe that's where I've heard of them. But anyway, that's <laughs> besides that's besides the point. But so you're at VN, you're at VMI, and then you you joined the army. So why did you join the army? Yeah. So this is this is a great question. And so uh, you know anybody who's my age and has read uh, you know the book Walter Mitty might understand part of it, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I can tell Marcia that you do. Um, but my, grand, my grandfather has actually served, uh, he was an engineer, served in uh, World War One and World War II. Uh, my father, of course, was in, um, served in World War II. And, you know, when I was growing up, I was almost a, always a history buff. And, um, but I was also an ADHD kid, and part of the reason I went to VMI was because of the structure. Um, mm-hmm. So when you go there, the you know the classes, well, it, being a military school, it provides that kind of <clears throat> structure and dis- discipline. Uh, but other than you know freshman biology or uh, chemistry, where we had like 250 people in the class, the rest of my classes had a you know, anywhere between 10 and 15 uh, oh. students. So very small, very focused, nowhere to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got my homework done. Um, that's great. So that's, so I got there. And because it was, a, you know, it was a military, you know, school, we were all enrolled in ROTC. This is back during the, you know, the uh, Vietnam days in the uh, mid-60s. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I think I just felt it was, you know, based on the family, my duty. And so I uh, was commissioned in the Army um, right out of, you know, when I graduated. What was your rank? Uh, well, in those days, I started off as a second lieutenant. Uh, I retired uh-huh. as a lieutenant colonel. Wow. Good for you. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's that's. And how long did you serve? Yeah, so I was in uh, twenty years. Twenty years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you know, and that's that's part of the adventure, you know, of life. Mm-hmm. Because during those twenty years, I, you know, obviously spent uh, time in Southeast Asia, but I also um, spent uh, of those years nine years in Germany and different places. You know, part of it over by the East German border in those days in a place called Fulda, Germany. Uh, then later on, you know, I was back in Stuttgart, and uh, I was fortunate to spend a year at the American Embassy in Paris. Nice. That's, I mean, that is, that is something that the military can, can give you. So what did you what is it, what did you, what did the military service teach you? What did you get from that? Hmm. Yeah, so, so lots of life lessons there. You know, one of the things that, you know, I think is, to me personally, really important, and one of the benefits um, that, 
my particular military service gave me was world travel. Um, when I was stationed in Germany, you know, those two different times, I, I traveled all over Europe. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, at least in the western part of Europe, because we still had the, uh, the Iron Curtain back right. in, the, in those days. But all over Western Europe, and it was exposure to different cultures, you know, and that's something that I think is, you know, important for all of us. It certainly was important, you know, for me. Um, the second time I was in Germany, I was stationed with uh, an organization, you know, unless you're, you know, our listeners are familiar with the military, they won't know this, but it was called European Command. Okay. And... Uh, I'd actually gone there to be uh, the liaison between European Command in Stuttgart and and our embassy in Paris. But because I had gone through French language school, I wound up being um, attached to the part of UCOM that dealt with Sub-Saharan Africa. Interesting. So for three years, you know, I traveled probably to almost every single country in sub-Saharan Africa. So at the end of that tour, you know, I, of course, had, you know, I have a, well, the other thing is the Army, you know, sent me through graduate school to learn about Mm. European affairs. So I'll give a Mm. plug for, you know, the military. So for, you know, people that are, uh, you know, young people that are interested in a career, I know this you know, maybe it's not the right time to join the military. Um, you know, but I, you know, was fortunate to go to graduate school and then be assigned to European Command Headquarters. You know, and my job was to to basically learn the culture and understanding of the politics of Western Europe. <clears throat> and that came, came into play later when I was in the Pentagon. And... Um, you know, because of my, you know, my travels in South, uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa, I wound up working in the State Department dealing with African affairs. I was the liaison between the State Department and uh, the Pentagon. Wow. That's really impressive. I mean, that's, that really is very impressive. So how did a Virginia guy become of California? What, what, was, the, what was the reason that you left that and came found yourself here in California. Well, yeah, Marcia, great, uh, great question. I call it mm-hmm. uh, because of the br- the breeze feeling. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. so everyone has heard of the glass feeling, right? Uh huh. So when uh, I retired from the military, I went to work for a French aerospace company, as I mentioned before, Aerospatiale. Right. Right. And uh, I worked in their Washington office and, you know, we did a couple of things. You know, we were responsible for developing relations, um, you know, between our our French aerospace company and uh, U.S. aerospace companies. And also did a, I had to be registered as a lobbyist. <clears throat> but, you know, after five years since I was French, or not French, rather, um, yes. there wasn't really any upward mobility in, uh, mm. in the company. Okay, and so that's why I call that the breeze ceiling. And uh, 
I had gone to a conference, a Forbes uh, CEO conference out in Los Angeles during my time with Aerospatial, and it was, the conference was hosted at uh, the Anderson School of Business at UCLA. Oh, UCLA, uh-huh. And so, you know, I took a look at Los Angeles, and I said, well, this is pretty interesting, and I applied uh, to go to business school and was accepted, and so I moved to Los Angeles and went through business school at uh, UCLA. That was in 1998. Uh, I finished in 2000, and I just never went back to Virginia. That's so interesting. You were at UCLA when my daughter was at UCLA. That's very interesting. But she was in the theater oh, arts really? department, yes, um, after she, when she graduated oh, nice. high school. UCLA was her school. But I want to move us over to sort of the topics that we're going to be focusing on today. And one of them is cancer advocacy. So how is it that you became involved in cancer advocacy? Yeah, so, um, Marcia, another great question. Um, You know, I'm one of those people I, you know, I've had cancer, you know, in my family. You You know, my father passed away from lung cancer, but... Um, I assume that's partly because he was a long, you know, lifelong smoker, you know, coming from his, you know, his particular, um, you know, age. Um, My sister passed away from pancreatic cancer. And I believe that for the same reason she was also a smoker. Um, You know, but my case, it had to do with prostate cancer diagnosis and, um, I'm what I call the accidental um, cancer survivor because, you know, I was diagnosed, um, fortunately, early. But, uh, you know, for any 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 women out there, and I'll really talk to this talk to the ladies who may may be interesting uh, listening, um, you know, because. And then I'm going to say something, and then I'll go back because prostate cancer is is one of the most treatable prostate, you know, most treatable cancers we have. It's unique in that it has this very simple test um, called the prostate-specific antigen test. It's a blood test that um, uh, men can have just during their annual physical, and it it's not perfect. <clears throat> it's about 95% reliable. Um, and all guys need to do is to take that test, and they should take a test, you know, take it early. And I suggest that, you know, um, you know, men start taking the test at age 35 to mm-hmm. establish a baseline and then look to see if that number is changing. <clears throat> so, so that's the background. So it's, uh, it's, a, it, it's you know, uh, the most common cancer in men. It kills about 28,000 men every year. Um, wow. It's easily treatable if it's found early. It's almost impossible to treat if it's found late. <clears throat> so that's the background, and all we need to do is get guys to test for it. But, you know, as we all know, most guys think, they're, think we're invisible, invincible rather. Right. <clears throat> you know, so all we need to do is engage, um, you know, the uh, – uh, our ladies and convincing yes. guys to just 
go get that test. And so if we can get everybody, you know, all our, you know, uh, ladies to just kind of apply that little bit of pressure, you know, that would significantly reduce the, the number of men we lose every year to prostate cancer. <clears throat> what you but say makes – go, so, oh, go ahead. Finish your thought. Oh, I was going to – I was going to go back to my case. Um, so I was, you know, diagnosed, diagnosed actually late in life at, at age 58. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I was like most guys. Did I, number one, I didn't know what, what the prostate was, even though when I was flying in the, uh, uh, when I was, you know, helicopter pilot in the military, the, the flight surgeons always checked it every year. Um, but I had no idea what they were checking. So I didn't know what the prostate cancer was, uh, prostate was, where it was located, or what it did. Mm-hmm. So in my particular case, I wound up with a case of what we call prostatitis, which is nothing more than the infl- inflammation of the prostate. <clears throat> but uh, it caused my PSA number to spike from you know, what would be an acceptable level to you know, um, 8.2, which I was fortunate, you know, my family physician looked at this and said, no, this number is too high. It's unusual. And that started a series of tests, which resulted in the discovery of my prostate cancer. You know, it's very interesting. It's interesting what you said, because I, I know on your website, and I would just suggest that people visit your dot org and and you have to put the in the title so it's the p c a p dot org and that'll that'll be in my follow up blog but I can just say speaking uh, my my husband worked for Hughes and then it was Raytheon and their HR department did require a physical every year but I would say that if you were to look at most thirty year old men that are happily married and feeling just fine, they don't even go for a routine physical unless they feel like there's something wrong. And I think that that is an important uh, – we we as women, we go routinely. Men, not as much. And I think it's really important what you just said. And it's exactly what I said to my son over a Zoom call this weekend. Your grandpa, your other grandpa, your uncle – you need to get a PSA test, and if you haven't, it's time you start that. Let this be a wake-up call. And by having you join me, and we might just mention that this is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, which is just an irony of that whole subject, is that for those of you that are listening, that have brothers, that have sons, that have husbands, a blood test, you know, and... And we're going to be talking more about that because I think, you know, it's it's very, very important. And um, that's why you created your Prostate Awareness Project. But it was it sort of morphed into the Cancer Journeys Foundation. Is that correct? Uh, yes, Marcia, it did. So, um, yeah, the reason there's the, the T-H-E before the P-C-A-P is because the other domain was already taken. I noticed that. I put it in there and I went, this isn't right. (laughs) You're right. Oh, man. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And name is, uh, you know, names are everything. And yes, there are so many webs, so many websites and domains. It's just hard to find, uh, you know, the right one. Right. So, yep. So, 
just to continue on briefly to what you said, um, you know, this, uh, we recommend that guys begin t- t- taking this PSA test, uh, this blood test at age 35. You know, and the idea is to just establish a baseline. Um, you know, often, you know, people hear that, uh, you know, physicians will say that, you know, almost if, they, if men live long, long enough, almost all of them will have prostate cancer. And, um, you know, to some level, and that's true. Um, however, aggressive prostate cancers, the ones that, you know, kill guys, you know, often tend to come earlier in life. And that's why we recommend establishing a simple baseline at age 35 and then personally tracking uh, that number. And if it's, you know, 2.0 and the next year it's 2.3, then it's a good time to sit down and talk with you, you know, your physician and say, okay, well, we have this upward trend. What's the cause? Now, mm-hmm. an upward trend doesn't mean you have prostate cancer because as men get older, their prostates actually just kind of grow, you know, enlarge just with age. And the larger the, the prostate is, the more PSA it will release into the blood. <clears throat> so it's having a, an increasing, you know, PSA number doesn't necessarily mean you have prostate cancer. Um, but it is definitely worth checking. And mm-hmm. uh, I think you probably have put into your blog um, our prostatetracker.org link. Yes, please talk about that. <clears throat> yes, that's really important. <clears throat> okay, so, well, I hope I'm not boring your listeners. But no, anyway, no, no, so these, are, these are tools. This is important. This is <clears throat> an informative show. This is not boring. All right, good. So... You know, like I said, I, when I was diagnosed right after I, you know, graduated from business school and a kind of numbers guy. So when I was diagnosed, I, I looked at myself and I said, should I have known this? You know, what did I miss, you know, in my own, you know, medical <clears throat> records? And so I went back and I looked at all my past blood tests and I took all those PSA numbers and I dropped them into an Excel sheet. Microsoft Excel sheet, and I put a trend line on it. And what I saw was that, that you know, uh, uh, an upward sloping line graph. And, you know, I realized at that point is that by tracking these PSA numbers, you know, it, these numbers, what I call, what I, the way I phrase it, it makes prostate cancer visible. <laughs> Because prostate cancer in itself is a disease, uh, it shows no symptoms until it's advanced, right? So if there are no symptoms, mm-hmm. then how can you how can you how can you tell that you know that 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 you have it? And uh, so by doing this, you know, I looked at that and I said, well, okay, so I can see my upward sloping line. What can I what can I do to give other people, other men, a tool. So I was in the software development business, you know, um, at that point. And so I had some of the programmers just create a simple little tool on the Internet. It's available at prostatetracker.org. It's an anonymous tool. And so anyone can create an an account. We don't don't send emails to any of that. Um, Right. 
but they go in and they, they put in a date and they put in their PSA number. And if, you know, they do that, that starts their count. The second time they come back and put in a new date and a new PSA number, then the tool will connect the dots and produce a line, what we call That's, a trend line. Yeah. And if that line is, is sloping upward, then it's a good thing, you know, good, good time to talk to a physician. And uh, the tool, once someone creates an account, 11 months later, it will send a reminder email and say, mm-hmm. hey, it's, uh, you know, it's 11 months. It's time for your second, uh, your next test. They take the test, put the number in, and it just keeps going. So that is Prostate Tracker, and it's just based on, you know, my experience, and it's just a, mm-hmm. it's a free tool. And, uh, and uh, as long as uh, even a woman, I mean, it's completely anonymous. So if, uh, so if a lady has her husband's PSA test, PSA number, she can create the count and track, you know, and, and track that increase. Sure. And it's free. There's no charge. <laughs> So, I mean, I I think that that's very generous. You're not capitalizing at all. You're just saying, here's a tool, friends. You know, I happen to be an Excel person myself, so that's my nature. My father was also in the military, so routine is part of what I knew growing up from a very young, young age. You know, we ate dinner at 530. Okay, that's when we ate dinner. And you better know how to fold your socks and your T-shirts, but that's a side issue. <laughs> um, and, you know, Did but you, you know, to... but 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 you understand that because that kind of training really does set a standard. And 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 some could say, well, it's very, not very flexible. Well, there's certain things. Okay, so maybe it's not. Maybe we didn't. Maybe we didn't eat dinner until six o'clock. But the routine and the expectation was. 5:30, it's time to eat. So that's just what we did, and that's mm-hmm. and it's funny because my husband was very much a routine man as well. But that's I think that engineering brain that he has. <laughs> but so, so the Cancer Journey Foundation is still operational, and um, and it's also a dot org. So Cancer Journeys, and that is with the N E Y S, Cancer Journeys Foundation dot org. Um, people can go there and they can see more about what you're doing there because I have also um, indicated that for people to read. But let's let's spend let's spend some time now talking about another very close to you um, organization, which is the Disabled Veteran Empowerment Network. I believe you created that in 2019. Is that correct? Yes, uh, Marcia, we did. Um, and um, so, and, you know, I did that the, again, you know, this is based on my own personal experience, um, you know, from my military days. And it's really focused on um, helping disabled veterans connect with resources. And, um, you know, there are many organizations, veteran, you know, focused organizations around the company or the country you know, that, um, you know, provide services to veterans. And, you know, what the Disabled Veteran Empowerment Network is, you know, it, it's essentially an information source, an information hub, um, you know, connecting veterans to resources in different areas, uh, you know, housing support, education, 
connecting them through to organizations that can help, you know, veterans obtain, um, you know, benefits from the Veterans Administration. Um, And one of our, one of our programs has to do with uh, PTSD and veteran suicide prevention. But before I, you know, talk about that, I want to make sure that people know that, um, that uh, DEVIN, you know, which is the acronym Empowerment Network, is so long. Right. You know, it's kind of a clunky name, so we yeah. normally just talk about it as DEVIN. Right. So it, it, it's actually a program, you know, that is operating underneath the Cancer Journeys Foundation. So the Cancer Journeys Foundation is the 501c3. So, okay. you know, if someone searches for us, you know, they'll find that that's our, that's our um, IRS-recognized charity. Okay. Uh, but, you know, so, you know, about, you know, about 10 years ago, <clears throat> you know, I had, I went through a and discovered that I was actually a PTSD the survivor as well as the cancer survivor. Wow. You know, and that was something that was a little, you know, in a way surprising to me mm-hmm. um, because, you know, my, my combat duty was, you know, back in, you know, the period 1968 through 1972. <clears throat> so this was, you know, a long time ago. Um, uh, and what I've learned through this process is that, you know, sometimes people, you know, the PTSD and those symptoms affect people right away, uh, and sometimes they 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 just linger, you know, below the surface, wind up suppressing them. And you know, my particular, you know, when I went through this program, what you know, what happened to me? And this is a little personal. I don't tell too many people. That's this, okay. But, <clears throat> Thank you. I'd like to hear this. <clears throat> So I, you know, the VA sent me through to, uh, you know, to a psychologist that was part of this evaluation program. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, what this psychologist required me to do was to go sit down and write, you know, a description of every single engagement that I had been in during those two years. <clears throat> you know, my two combat tours. And um, as a result, what I wound up doing is literally spending a couple of weeks, um, you know, writing descriptions of each one of these actions and, you know, going back to Google Maps and wow. and searching out the terrain um, in Vietnam where they all took place. And um, as a result of that, you know, it, it, you know, it, it kind of, for me, brought all of that stuff to the surface again. And, um, it, you know, it, it helped me personally, you know, a, a great deal. And so there's, you know, someone out in our listening audience today, <clears throat> you know, that, you know, had, you know, was, was, had those same experiences. You know, I would just offer that, you know, going through this process for me was a big help. And it's, you know, possible that somebody else might benefit from that, you know, that same, that same um, process. 
Were you, did so, did I understand you correctly, you did serve in Vietnam? Well, I did. My first tour was with the uh, 173rd Airborne Brigade. We were, okay. you know, operating up in the north. Uh, you know, and the second, my second tour was uh, flying, you know, helicopters also again up, up north, you know, flying with, the, with an air cavalry troop. Wow. So you were in Hanoi. <clears throat> Well, no, not that far north. We were oh. in the very northern part. Um, but I, but when I, it was funny when I was uh, working with uh, Aerospatiale for those five years. The, uh, uh, you know, my colleague who was the president of Aerospatiale, the U.S. office of Aerospatiale, uh, Greg Bradford. Greg, Greg had been a was a in the Air Force, and Greg had been a B two B fifty two pilot. <clears throat> So he was flying B-52s over North Vietnam the same time that I was flying helicopters, you know, down in, in South Vietnam. So, Oh, so were you, because I've been to Vietnam, I'm familiar with the country. So were you, oh. so you were in, you were in Saigon, you were not, were you not in Hoi An at all? You were just, you were in, in the south part of mm-hmm. Vietnam? Yeah, so we were in the, up in the central highlands. So I Got flew it. out of a place called, called Pleiku and uh-huh. uh, you know which uh, so if you're familiar with Pleiku and Kantum that was you know our operating area there and up, uh, up uh, by Dr. Ko. Got it well you know that you know for the majority of us we, we can't even imagine what that was like for you to to be in this combat zone and then for you to not even discover that it was so suppressed for mm-hmm. so long and for it to finally bubble up so it could be addressed, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. But PTSD, and I, I think most people know that that stands for post-traumatic stress syndrome. Wait, post-traumatic stress, wait, post-traumatic stress disease, not syndrome. Correct? Have I said that correctly? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, I think that, you know, there are many of us that might know somebody that has also suffered from that. Um, but what is pretty exciting is you've got a huge event coming up next month, don't you? Well, we do. We actually have a couple of things coming along, Marcia. Oh. So, <clears throat> um, yeah. But the motor well, tell us event. about we'll, it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But for everybody that's uh, in the Los Angeles area, if, uh, you know, for people that are, you know, kind of into cars, a car enthusiast, uh, they will know about these things called cars and coffee. And uh, started, gosh, maybe, you know, 10 years ago. And on any given weekend, you know, in L.A. and around the country, you know, there are literally dozens of these events where, you know, car enthusiasts, you know, get together, you know, with everything from Lamborghinis to lowriders. And it's mm-hmm. just kind of a, a you know, a, a culture where people that, you know, enjoy cars come together um, and hang out. And so we have as part of our PTSD awareness program can uh, created a cars and coffee event, but we call it cars and camo. Okay, 
for camouflage. So it's, yes. it's um, so we're we're kind of military theming this. And uh, so we have the first one coming up this coming Sunday oh. at uh, the, US, the USS Iowa down in uh, uh, San Pedro. Mm-hmm. And it's Sunday at 10 o'clock. And, you know, we're getting everybody together. You know, we've got, uh, nice. I think we have somebody that's, well, we've got a bunch of people coming with unique Unique cars. Somebody is bringing a, 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 a fully equipped army jeep. You know, um, the you know, and uh, yes, Carl. This thing looks exactly like the jeep I spent a year in during my first first tour in Vietnam, complete with M60 machine gun. Not working, of course. Of course, yes, yeah. right. Huh. But he's got everything: the radio, you know, all the gear, you know, that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is part of our um, outreach program, you know, to the community for PTSD awareness, suicide prevention. You know, again, it's connecting, you know, people to the new, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the, uh, there's now a national suicide hotline. Yes, 988. 988, right. great, you know about that. Yep, I do. So this is... The, this is to help everyone, you know, who is in any kind of, you know, mental distress. And so uh, there's a special line uh, for veterans, and it's 988-PRESS-1. And if they press 1, that will take them to operators that are familiar with the military community and that specific, you know, uh, part of emotional distress. And so... So Cars and Camo is just part of our outreach program to connect with people. Um, you know, I'm a life member of the American Legion and the, the VFW. And the American Legion has a, a program going again, you know, with, you know, about mental distress, and it's called Be the One. Mm. You know, and, and essentially that, you know, it's just saying, hey, if you know someone or you, you know, you see someone in distress, quote, be the one to connect them with the resources, you know, connect with them, you know, and see if you can help and then connect them with, you know, the professionals. And so that's, yes, so, nice. our cars, so that's our, <clears throat> our cars in camo and that's local to LA. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we also have our bigger program and that is our motorsports group program that we call the Top Dog Championships, and uh, that is one that we're actually doing on a racetrack, and uh, as you indicated, Mm -hmm. it is coming up uh, towards the end of October at some point. The 22nd, I know, right? October 22nd. 22nd. Are, are you going to be driving with this? I know, uh, honey, but um, <laughs> but you have a good time. <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> yeah. So so this event, uh, you know, is it's an amateur event, uh-huh. and it literally anyone uh, can pre- participate in this. And so people always what we we've, we've structured this, and it's. I don't know. Remember, I mentioned Walter Mitty, you know, before yes. at the beginning of this. <clears throat> you know, so anyone that's read the book, you know, knows that 
you know, Walter would kind of always daydream, you know, and, and take these adventures. And um, so one of the things that, you know, I think many people have, uh, have wanted to do is learn what it would like, be like to drive uh, a race car mm-hmm. and drive on a racetrack. And so we have created an event that people can do exactly that. Um, They don't need a a race car. Um, Mm -hmm. They don't need a special license. You know, um, they can use their, you know, uh, their own daily driver. Um, All someone needs to do is have a car, um, have a current driver's license, be over 18, and they can come participate in this event. If they're a veteran, you know, they would be driving uh, for their service team. Um, and I'll digress a little bit and say the way we structured the event, um, you know, we looked at this and said, well, you know, the, there's a, a traditional Army-Navy football game. Right. You know, and that's the annual rivalry. We said, well, how could we take that and do something like that on a racetrack? And so what we've done is we've modified it a bit. So there are eight service teams. You know, the people that come and drive with us, uh, they'll either be driving for the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard. Um, So they'd be on a team and collectively competing for what we call that top dog uh, 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 championship, to be a (laughs) top dog. Yes, (laughs) And the, the reason for the top dog is um, uh, one of the, what we're doing with uh, the funds we raise is providing this to another charity that provides trained service dogs to veterans dealing with uh, PTSD. Oh, I love so, that. So our event, you know, it, you know, this, although we're a charity in this case, you know, the funds that we generate from this program, we're passing through to another charity, and that charity is called Veterans Moving Forward, and their focus is solely on uh, identifying veterans that can be helped with a service dog and then um, uh, finding the dogs, training the dogs, and providing them at no cost to the service member. I love um, that. And it, oh, man. <sighs> so that's why we call it Top Dogs, and... Uh, you know, people can, they can find out about uh, the event at uh, rallyforvets.com. And uh, that's rally, R-A-L-L-Y, the number four, vets.com. Right. And so, you know, I tell everybody, hey, this is, this is a fun event. Okay, you don't even really have to go fast, you know, to participate. Right. You know, it's... I, uh, that is a really cool website. Um, I'll be um, highlighting that, highlighting that as well. Um, I, I just, I just find that everything that you've been talking about is just so—it's personal, but it's so giving. You know, everything that I've heard you say has, how can I help? And um, I just, I find that so admirable. I'm curious about something about you personally. So you've you've got this PS, P, 
PTS, PTSD history. What? How do you manage your stress relief? What? What's? What are your strategies to just keep that in place? Yes, uh, Marcia. You know, super question. Uh, you know, for me, it it. Uh, I've always loved physical things, sports. Um, uh, but my biggest tool is actually bicycling. Now, okay. you know, my wife and I do do yoga, and you know, we try and walk, uh, you know, together a couple of days uh, a week. But for me. Uh, you know, my biggest stress control thing has just been getting on my bicycle and riding. And, um, you know, at last count, and I really got back into this um, after I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, you know, back in uh, 2003. And since then, I've ridden about 29,000 miles on my bicycle. Now, you know, obviously not at once, all at once. Right. But, you know, it's little by little. And, um, you know, bicycling is something, well, you know, we all, most of us learned when we were kids, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that when you got your bicycle, that was your first freedom, right? Get yes, on your bicycle, it ride, ride with your friends, you know, go to the store, Um and uh, you know that generally lasted until we got our bike, uh, our 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 drivers cars, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, cars, right, and then it went somewhere else. <clears throat> but um, you know, research shows um, you know that um, you know when when you go outside, it's just better when you're in the forest. <clears throat> um, you know that it it literally has this calming effect. But anywhere outside. Um, you know, and for me, I live in the west side of L.A., and, you know, I ride down along the coast and then up over uh, Palos Verdes Peninsula. And, uh, oh my you know, right. what I'm able to do during that ride is just, just disassociate for everything, mm-hmm. right? So it just, you know, becomes me and the bicycle, and you're riding along, and, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, the scenery and the landscape and, you know, all that tension, um, you know, just dissipate. And there is this tool called Strava, and it's become very popular over the last five years with uh, actually cyclists and runners. It's an online <clears throat> platform. It's called Strava.com, S-T-R-A-V-A.com. And uh, created two groups uh, on Strava. You know, one is a group of cancer survivors, and um, we come together virtually and ride. And uh, the second group is for veterans. And we're now growing that group on, uh, on Strava. So it's, it's a way for veterans, you know, anywhere, you know, to kind of come together and, and, uh, and ride and um, kind of support each other, you know, in, you know, this mental um, I don't want to phrase it, kind of, you know, mental awareness and mental, mm-hmm. you know, and, and mental health improvement. How do you get this word out? I'm thinking, honestly, uh, my, my brain is just whirling. I've been to the Inglewood Vets 
organization that's not far from me where they are housing veterans that are homeless. I don't know if you're familiar with that area because it's not that far from where you are really. But um, I just, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm hearing the quote in my head, the walking wounded, but I'm thinking about how, how does, how do these veterans get this information? Is it through the VA? Is it how how would somebody even know about Strava? I mean, how do you get the message out? Yeah, so yeah, so that's a, a great question. Now, now that you've asked that question, I'm thinking of more things that I need to do. <laughs> well, I've got so, connections for uh, you. I want to have you speak at my Rotary meeting. I mean, you know, you got to yeah. get the word out for those very reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we, we have a, you know, we have a blog, uh, that we run, uh, off of our website and, uh-huh. um, you know, we also have an event calendar there, but, you know, you've actually just kind of jogged my memory or, you know, uh, I'm, I'm making a to-do list. <clears throat> right. Um, so for people, for people on Strava, you know, it's easier for me to find them. Um, but I probably need to be, you know, more active, you know, through our Instagram account and our Facebook pages, you know, and getting people to go over, you know, and just right. telling them that, that we're there. <clears throat> you know, thinking about, you know, Inglewood, uh, there is, uh, you know, another um, veteran organization called Ruck for Vets, and it's uh, down in Redondo Beach. <clears throat> okay. You know, now we're talking about here in L.A. Um, I know. And yeah, they have this program of, you know, veterans coming together and they're, you know, they, they provide um, rucksacks, you know, filled, you know, with, um, uh, you know, personal care items, you know, to veterans. And now that I, mm-hmm. you know, now that you brought that up, maybe I need to, you know, touch with them, touch base with them and see if we can, you know, get that organization to connect with, you know, up with the team up there in Inglewood. Um, well, you know, you, because yes. that wouldn't be a bicycling thing, but it would be a walking, you know, walking event, which is even easier, right? You don't need a bike. Sure, sure. <laughs> and you know, I would just say this: yes, we, you know, this is this podcast goes across the country. It's not just a localized conversation that you and I are having, but veterans live everywhere. You know, you used to live on the East Coast, and I would just say to anyone that is listening that you could, you might, what what I feel, here's what I'm thinking. You tell me if you would agree with this. What I think that you are also doing is you are inspiring. There's a lot of us that are just want to volunteer. They want to pick an organization that's meaningful to them for whatever that reason might be. And they're living in Tennessee. And they're listening to this podcast and they're going, you know, we could use something like that where we are. They can certainly reach out to you. People can contact you. And and what would be the best way? What would you recommend the best way people could use to contact you directly? Um, yeah, so um, they can actually find me in, in a number of different ways. Michael. Yes, um, it's true. They can, uh, you know, connect with me through um, – the, the devon.org website yep. through the uh, vet through the uh, rally for vets website yep. uh, or Can- cancer journeys foundation 
um, website. All of those places, yes. Yep, and, and uh, you know, through my LinkedIn profile. I know so, LinkedIn. And, you know, and it's very true because I'm looking at these websites um, while you and I are having this conversation, and you make it very easy for people to get newsletters, people to get information. And I think it's it's very, very important because maybe – Someone that's listening says, gosh, my dad would really benefit by this. He never listens to podcasts. He won't even know (laughs) about this. But now that I've heard this, I'm thinking about that. I'm a dog lover. I think it would be nothing, you know, somebody's listening and saying, I'm already a therapy dog trained person. I could do something like this in this field. So I think it's very, very motivating because I think that family members – can become very involved in your program. Am I right? Uh, absolutely, Marsh. I mean, um, if someone is a motorsports fan, you know, we would love to, um, you know, have them engage with us, you know, in the, the Top Dog Championship program. Um, you know, we are also working with a, another organization called Roadster.io, um, you know, which is not, uh, it's not a competition <clears throat> program, um, but it's uh, an organization that is connecting people that just enjoy going for drives, mm-hmm. you know, in some part of the country. And it's uh, a very interesting young guy who started this, uh, you know, here in Manhattan Beach. Um, and, uh, but they're, you know, so... So they could work with us on that program, but, you know, there are so many. There are probably, at last count, there, I think there are about 30,000 veteran service organizations, you know, wow. that are doing, <clears throat> doing local work in the U.S. And, um, you know, and I think about, you know, my personal life experience, <clears throat> you know, and I I've been very fortunate to go a lot of places to, you know, to experience a lot of things, you know, but one thing I, I have learned, and you, you know, you asked me what, you know, the military, you know, teaches you and, you know, it teaches you responsibility, you know, for the people that, you know, are under your command, you know, but it, you know, I would I would broaden it to say it, it teaches a responsibility for the community that you're in. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, all of us want to, you know, give back to our community in some fashion. So if somebody is interested in the specific things that, you know, we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, we'd love to we'd love to bring them on board. But they can also look at organizations in their local communities. You know, they're doing good work. You know, there are American Legion posts, there are VFW posts, there, you know, there are local um, organizations, you know, that are working to help in their community. And so, you know, I think we're all destined to give back some way. I so agree with you. And it's just a matter of, and, you know, Marsha, I would say that you're, you're a great example, um, of, mm, thank you. You know exactly that because you're you know you're reaching out and you're connecting with people, you know that are you know like me that are doing things and now you're 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 
providing a platform that, you know, we can share our experiences and our goals, you know, with so many more people. I, you know, everybody has to determine for themselves what is a productive life for them. You know, not everybody is retired. Not everybody has the time. And I understand that, um, you know, most of us know somebody, whether it's a parent like my dad that was in the National Guard or a brother or an uncle, whomever, grandpa, you know. And I think that the veterans, men and women, because I think it's very important that we recognize that there are a lot of women that have served in the military. And um, I think sometimes people forget that, that, that there are women that have also dedicated their lives. And... And I think that it's just wonderful what you do because what I can feel is that, yeah, I mean, you talked at the very, very beginning of this program about having ADHD as a kid. And, you know, that's not always easy. And and yet look as you kind of circle back in your own mind, and I know you say you're a yogi, so I know that you know that breathing and that just sort of that mindset and then you get yourself out on a bicycle where you're just feeling the breezes and you're I mean we're very lucky we have a bike path there are people that live in Arizona that don't live by the beach my son would be one of them so you know we're we're fortunate uh, where we live to be able to experience all this Robert but I would just I would just venture to say that if you know somebody from the beginning when we talked about prostates and, and, and the information that people could take away from this by talking to the men in your family and just talking about the value. We, as women, typically take pretty good care of getting a mammogram and things that we know are necessary. But sometimes men are negligent about it's okay what well, doesn't matter i i know I, i'm busy i got work i'm not i don't have time so hello what mm-hmm. do you know if you have high blood pressure oh probably but i don't care so you know um i think that that your message is strong and i if you were going to just leave somebody with this like final thought what what would that what would that sound like what would that come from you yeah so uh, <laughs> That's a um, hard one, right? <laughs> you know, oh, man. I I would say if if you can make one person's life better, and you know, I say that because you know when when I first you know when I first started, you know, the Prostate Cancer Awareness Project, um, you know, my wife looked at me and she said, um, "What's your measure of success?" For this organization and I thought about that and I said well if I can save one life then it's a success and so you know to everyone you know that's listening you know I I would say that you know the give back would be if you can make one person's life better okay yeah. in any of these areas okay then it's a success and you can, you know, check this box and say, okay, I've given back, you know, to my community. And whether it's, you know, with the program that we're doing or, um, you know, perhaps even better in their local community, okay, mm-hmm. then that's the final 
you know, my my takeaway when when yes. whenever they write my life story and to say, well, no. okay, he helped it, at least one person. Right. I have you have you appeared on any of the television, the local news shows? <laughs> no. No, I haven't. Oh, you listen to the way you giggled, like, oh, my God, that's the last thing I want to do. But, I, I mean, I, I heard that. I might have misrepresented. I may have read more into that. But I could certainly see where somebody from your organization could talk to people on, on local news. And also, let's face it, I'm not the only podcast in the world. And, and I think that, you know, connecting to other people that podcast in other parts of the country and do what they do. I, I think when I say conversations plus connections equals community, what's your story? That really is the foundation for me. And if in the process of you being this phenomenal guest on my show today, that somebody else can pick up that torch and say, hey, I, I, where is it? Where where is this actual race taking place? Shenandoah, where is that? Oh, it's it's actually at Summit Point Raceway in um, in West Virginia, which is okay. it's, it's about sixty miles from Washington D.C. So it's uh, anyone in that you know Virginia, right. Pennsylvania, Maryland area. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope people that are in that part of, I mean, we've been talking about local stuff, you and I, because we both live here. But for, for our East Coast friends, this would be a great event for them to consider going. And I just, I just want to thank you so much for your generosity, for your time, and your stories that, um, like you said, you know, if you can make one, life, one person's life better, do it. And perhaps that's what you and I have both done today and i just want to thank you so very much for being my guest it's just been wonderful well, Marcia, thank you thank you it's, uh, it's been an absolute honor thank you my pleasure all right everybody so you know the drill pick up the phone go to your internet figure out how you can help and you know what give some feedback perhaps you've done something that robert might be interested in knowing about. Get in touch with him. Ask him a question. Ask me a question. I'm I'm available. So everyone, be safe. I know we're having crazy weather all across this country, but be safe. Take care of yourself because by taking caring of by taking care of yourself, you can take care of others. And I will say bye for now. And I'll have you back next week, everybody. Thanks again, Robert. Thank you.